0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Climate change can be a really scary thing, and as more people are becoming climate aware, so are those feeling anxiety about the future of our environment. It can be hard to know how to handle the grief and uncertainty of climate change, so some are turning to their therapists. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. More and more therapists are trying to address the sadness and grief that some people experience about the changing environment. It's called climate-aware therapy. And therapists in this movement say working on grief related to climate can help people move from climate denial and paralysis to action. We wanted to dig deeper into that, so we spoke with Marilee Feldman, a licensed clinical professional counselor and the Illinois coordinator for Climate Psychology Alliance and owner of the Life Counseling Institute Practice. We were also joined by Karen Weigert, Reset Sustainability Contributor and director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. And I started by asking Marilee to explain the term climate anxiety, also known as
1: eco-distress. Climate anxiety is basically... Distress about the climate crisis and its impact on the natural world, plants, animals, the planet, as well as its impacts on human existence, and that comes in the form of anxiety, such as worries about you know the future, worries about our descendants, worries about nature. Um, you can get intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. intrusive images, fears about. You know, societal collapse, um, as well as just a lot of um, feelings of physical activation. Um, and wow. I would say eco-distress is kind of a better term. I think it's less pathologizing, but it also refers to other feelings that we might have in addition to anxiety. And a big one would be grief, um, mm-hmm. ecological grief. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: that is a big one. Um, I'm, I appreciate that breakdown of just sort of that that day to day life impact here. I'm also thinking of parents um, grappling with how climate change will affect their kids yeah. when they're gone or, you know, or people who are currently making decisions of whether to have kids yeah, and actually factoring that in. Is that something that comes up in your practice?
1: Yeah, that's actually one of the most heartbreaking things for me when I think about the climate crisis and considering that there are people actually changing the entire trajectory of their lives by questioning whether or not the world is safe enough to have children. I grieve for that myself. So that's a big factor for Mm -hmm. young people. Seventy-five percent of youth feel that the future is terrifying. So not good. Yeah, no, not. <laughs> not <laughs> not at, at all. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You mentioned grief. What forms can this grief, guilt, and, and rage look like?
1: Grief is largely about, um, it, it's about several things. It's about losing our world as we know it. Loss of nature, loss of species. Loss of the ability to go outside and enjoy the natural world. For example, in Chicago, we recently had the worst air quality in the world and there was this red haze and, you know, soccer was canceled and Mm -hmm. nobody could go out. So there's grief related to noticing that things are changing. There's also grief related to the changes in our lives in terms of, you know, I may not be able to have children. Life is a lot more fragile than I ever thought. Mm -hmm. The world is more tragic than I thought. My children face a very scary world where things could break down. We have not lived in this country typically with the issues that other parts of the world have and now we're facing that. And so we're losing so much. That's the grief is all this loss. And that parental instinct to want
0: to fix that for your kids and knowing that you have no control over some of those outcomes or you won't be here. Right. Right. In a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious how many people you see that want to deal with eco distress.
1: Well, that's actually an interesting, like, kind of perspective on this story is that it is not the largest part of my practice. And among my peers who are working on this issue with Climate Psychology Alliance regionally, um, it is also not the largest part of their practice. And I find that really interesting. And I think it's because. This area has been a bit of a bubble when it comes to climate impacts, which is not to say the Chicago area has not been impacted because it has. Depending upon the region that you look at, certain Mm -hmm. disadvantaged communities are definitely suffering substantial impacts. But we have a lot of our needs met here in ways that other parts of the country don't. We don't have wildfires. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have the duration of extreme heat that the southwest has so in the chicago area my feeling is that we're kind of in a bit of a bubble we're kind of in a state of denial Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily see so much in other parts of the country although a climate aware therapist peer of mine um says even the people in california aren't necessarily talking about it it's that hard to talk about really yeah
0: karen let's bring you in here you directed and made a film about climate change solutions right and you were talking to us about how in the process you were bringing in these new editors onto the project and you discovered that they were falling into these climate-induced depressive cycles, if you will.
2: Talk about that. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We, we made a film and it was on solutions to the climate change. And so one of the first things we did is decide on the orientation of the film and that it would be about what you can do. So the f- main focus of the film was not what is happening in climate, but to work on the film you had to know it. And we had to organize the stories of solutions against where the greatest challenges were. And so we would bring in new folks, a new editor, for example, who had never studied climate, didn't really know anything about climate change. And then their job was to literally categorize and catalog all of our stories and all of our interviews against the climate data. And we're not therapists. We, We didn't know any of the proper words, but we would say that we would anticipate they would have climate change induced depression. I, I didn't know if that was a thing, but that was what casually we would say when the totality of the data would hit them for the first time and before we could get them into the stories of the solutions. Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: How did you come to this work, Marilee? Uh Well, through a personal crisis of my own. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. from a very young age think I identified that, you know, if, back then we talked about pollution and I was scared about pollution from a very young age. Um, and as I grew up, it became, you know, the ozone layer and eventually it became climate change. But I think I knew on some level, this is the big one. You Do you know, know
0: where the fear came from?
1: Being taught about it Just in being elementary aware. school, you yeah. know.
0: And understanding the, the, the gravity yeah. of the situation. Yeah, and so,
1: you know, I did go to a climate rally a few years ago and my sign said, you know, without the planet, what else matters? We can argue about the economy. We can argue about you know, COVID, we can have all sorts of issues. But when you think about it, none of them really matters if we don't have a healthy planet and we can't breathe. And yeah,
0: and the reason I ask too is, you know, everyone might not realize that they need to talk about climate. So I wonder if therapists feel this need to dig in to, to see if that is actually going on for clients.
1: Yeah, and I think that's part of what we're trying to address with um, mental health community is making them more aware of the issue because, to be honest, therapists are human, they're people too, and they're just as susceptible to struggling with their own feelings about climate. They're just as susceptible to denial. And so I have heard a story recently of someone, you know, trying to share their distress with their therapist and their therapist, you know, went quickly to reassurance, oh, there's plenty of time to sort that out, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Well, the reality is there's not. We're running short on time. And so, you know, therapists do need to be educated so that they, you know, kind of do their own work on this issue. They can handle the level of distress that their client is presenting. They can handle their own feelings about the climate crisis and they can delve into it. So that's part of what is needed is to get them up to speed. And
0: and climate-aware therapy, it doesn't pathologize clients. Why not?
1: Correct, because the problem with calling this climate anxiety is that the word anxiety kind of suggests that the problem is a you problem. Right, that something's wrong. You have anxiety, and so the problem is just you, and we're going to work with you on an individual level. But... Climate anxiety, if we're going to call it that, is a very rational response to a very real external threat. So anxiety, typically speaking, there's some potential for something going wrong, but the client has so much anxiety that it gets kind of overdeveloped. I see. In this case, there's nothing overdeveloped about having anxiety in the face of this crisis. So we don't want to pathologize it. That's important. hmm
0: what does the science tell us, Karen, about climate change that, that's currently happening? And what will happen if we don't take immediate action?
2: We just have experienced the hottest summer on record. Right. So we're seeing And we had you on to talk about it. Yeah. We're seeing, we're seeing the physical changes here in Chicago, um, and we're seeing them around the world. And that's on, on top of the data that 2022 saw the largest global emissions ever. So we're continuing to see trends like that. And emissions did go down during the pandemic, but it was more because of the economy uh, slowing down a bit. And if you look back at the trends, we are seeing the hottest year on record as a, a recurring theme because we keep having the hottest year on record. And if you look back at, at warming, the, the globe has warmed about eight, eight hundredths of uh, degrees Celsius every decade from about 1880 up until kind of 1980. Mm. But from about 1980 on it's up to about 0.18 degrees Celsius per decade. And this is from this is NOAA data. Yeah. So you can see Meeting that a lot it's, faster. it's warming and it's accelerating. Yeah. But you can also see that the Paris Accord did bring the nations of the globe together. And you can also see that the projections today on those nations they're not where they need to be to reach this goal of a a two degree Celsius warming or a max of a 1.5, but those projections do show that one degree has already been shaved off of the projections had they not made changes. Mm. So while we see the warming trends and we're seeing these acute moments like a heat wave, uh, it's also in a backdrop that where there has been some change. Not enough, but there's been some. Yeah,
0: so one thing that's distinct, Marilee, about climate-aware therapy is, uh, as you brought up, the distress about climate, it, it's fact-based, it's rational. Uh, it's about the present and the future, not about childhood or past trauma. So so how much are current therapeutic models able to respond to trauma that's currently happening? And how much more do you think still needs to be learned?
1: Yeah, um, I completely agree with you that this is not about a childhood issue or past trauma, but we could call climate change collective trauma. And collective trauma is something that's occurring um, in the present moment for many people. And some examples of that would be, you know, the pandemic, um, wars, um, mass shootings. I would suggest that the news is somewhat of a collective trauma. Um, Just hearing it all and how bad it's going to be is a collective trauma. I think all the time in mental health, we're learning quite a bit about trauma. Uh, We use somatic therapies because we know that trauma tends to impact our body and our level of physiologic activation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have something called the window of tolerance. So if I'm working with someone with climate distress with a lot of uh, physiologic activation, I'm helping them learn to modulate that. So, But there's a long way to go in terms of... um, educating therapists to be climate aware, to know what's going on in the world, to not be in their own state of denial, to
2: know how to treat this thing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Karen, you had a question?
2: I'm curious about the fact that we have this general trend of warming and then we have these acute moments. Like you mentioned when suddenly the air quality is horrid mm-hmm. or extreme heat. How does that change what people are experiencing and how you can work with them? You know,
1: in the Chicago area, again, we have not had a a number of those. It it was fascinating to me that when I recently gave a lecture for 350 Chicago, a climate active um, organization, it was supposed to be a hybrid meeting, and that day we had extreme heat and we had to move it to Zoom. Um, So the irony there, right? Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, I was... And I think this is true for people that have any degree of eco distress as well as climate aware therapists, that when there is an event such as the poor air quality that we had, what's hardest, I think, for people like us, activists, et cetera, is the lack of reaction. It's the business as usual. It's the fact that nobody's talking about it. And why don't we talk about it? Number one, it's too big. It's too upsetting. Mm -hmm. I literally had someone when I was talking about climate change, it was a therapist who said, stop, don't stop talking. You're making me upset. You know, I've had other people kind of give me um, I call it the space alien reaction. You know, you start talking about climate, you mention it in casual conversation. And they, they treat you as though you're really an anxious person or you're a Debbie Downer. So we have these kind of unwritten rules that say, don't go there. And this leaves people with climate distress feeling really um, alone and isolated and ashamed of their feelings. But that's the most striking thing when there's an event around here. Yeah. It's business as usual.
0: So the goal is for the individual to move from denial to resilience. Yes. What does resilience look like in practice?
1: So resilience looks like um, kind of it's a it's work to get there to move from denial into resilience involves dealing with a lot of really upset feelings and these feelings can be huge and big you know we don't want to minimize just how big it is to be going through that sort of climate awakening Mm -hmm. we call it Um, and that's a lot of feelings to sort through this is where therapy can be enormously helpful. Um, accepting what's happening you know a lot of times we're fighting against the reality but what we need to do is be able to say this is in fact happening now Mm -hmm. what am i going to do yeah um and so um when we get to the other side of some of these feelings we're we're adjusting um who we are and taking on new roles and saying okay here's now what i'm going to be so that's kind of a little bit more about resilience we might find our purpose we might find some improved meaning and gratitude in our lives, some greater sense of connection. Um, you know, we're taking that anxiety and all that grief that we had just experienced and we turn it into, um, you know, what matters mm-hmm. and action and love for this planet and love for each other. Your reaction to that, Karen? One
2: of the things that's so striking about the language is that it parallels a lot of the language in the climate field. And that is... Original, a lot of the work was about mitigation. It's about reducing emissions, and that is a must. And uh, then the language moved to incorporate adaptation, so responding to the changes that might come. And then the language actually moved to incorporate the actual word resilience. Mm -hmm. And so it's used really regularly when you talk about communities and actually when you talk about physical infrastructure in communities, that it is, in fact, climate resilient. Mm-hmm. That the communities and the infrastructure can withstand both the shocks, those acute moments, and then the stresses. yeah, so the language actually parallels.
0: and you've talked on the program before, Karen, about you know, moving forward, all jobs can be climate- related jobs. So I'm curious how so and how you see therapy fitting into that.
2: The entire economy has an opportunity to decarbonize, which means every sector, can play a role in there and that means every company and every nonprofit and every every for profit every governmental agency has an opportunity which means every job so we don't always think about it that way someone who's in accounting might not think about it being a climate job but if you're an accountant for a clean energy company you got to move the money. Uh, if you're an accountant in a company that might not be climate-oriented, you might relate to disclosures and data that is about climate. Marketing. It, you, know, you may be marketing to, to sell the microphone in front of me, uh, or you may be doing you know, marketing on uh, energy-efficient appliances. And so you can break down every sector. And uh, since we need to decarbonize it all, there's an opportunity everywhere. Yeah, It's even things like radio. It's even things like movies. Um, it's fundamentally a career opportunity for all in the role that they have, but also maybe even joining the team inside your own company that's going to decarbonize the general operations. I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about therapy. But I think now it's a you will. great example. Yeah, um, It's touching every part of our community. And uh, that resilience is something that's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. So uh, we know,
0: Marilee, that you have been spending some time sort of um, building a community in Illinois that supports climate-aware therapists. So leave us with this. If someone listening wants to seek out a climate-aware therapist,
1: where do they look? They would go to the website of Climate Psychology Alliance North America and they can find a directory there. There's a number of, I'd say there's about 15 in the state of Illinois. And I have formed a regional team of about five therapists that is uh, meeting regularly and figuring out actions we can take to inform other mental health professionals. And it's frankly been great, and I think this is important to know, you know, getting support if you have climate distress is huge. And my little group, my little team in Illinois has been my greatest source of support. It's been wonderful.
0: We'll leave it there. That's Karen Weigert, Reset Sustainability Contributor, and Mary Lee Feldman, an Illinois Coordinator for Climate Psychology Alliance. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks so much. That episode was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Micah Yason and Meha Ahmed. We bring you important conversations like this every day on Reset. And if you enjoy our content and you want to support us, consider subscribing to the Reset podcast. We drop new and fresh discussions and perspectives each day. If you want to check out our entire catalog of interviews, just go to WBEZ.org Reset. That's it for the pot today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons and have a great day.